0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's a sport that's heritage dates back to the 16th century in Scotland and the Netherlands. Two teams taken in turns to get the closest stone to the house, all while sliding on ice. After making its Olympic debut in 1924, it returned in 1998 and has been a mainstay in the Winter Olympics and Paralympics, and something to stay
1: up for. Ever since. I'm John. And I'm Michael. And this is Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy. This is the podcast where we meet the men and women leading from behind the scenes of sport in this country. And who can forget the so called Stone of Destiny from Rona Martin in Salt Lake City? But exactly 20 years on, what's next? As we count down to Beijing 2022, which is now just a matter of days away. I'm Nigel
2: Hall. I'm the executive performance director for British Curling.
1: We mentioned
0: that, the most famous moment of curling, Nigel. Is it a chain around the neck or is it something you're still proud of?
2: Oh, listen, it's it was an iconic day. I, I sat up late, I'd been out in Salt Lake City Earlier in the event, actually, because I was I was um, working for the Sports Scotland Institute of Sport at the time. And we were working with uh, Rona and, the, and both the men's and the women's team. So i had been fortunate to be out there. I'd got back home uh, in time for the final. And in fact, I'd played a game of curling earlier on that evening. I had to walk off the ice before the game had finished in order to make sure I was back home in front of the fire with a glass of something in my hand to watch that final live till fairly late or the early hours of the morning. What a great what a great night! what a great memory, actually. So, no, an iconic memory 20 years ago. All I'd say is it's about time we had some more gold medals to put on, the, put on the you know, to celebrate alongside Rona's and the, and the team.
0: Eurosport have said that um, Bruce Mue and your team, uh, some of them have been selected already, six curlers for Beijing, have the best chance of a Team GB medal at Beijing 2022. Is that a fair summation? Do like, you
2: know things like that are a real real challenge, aren't they? Um, listen, Bruce Mowat and, and, and the team, um, the men's team, did brilliantly at the World Championships earlier on this year in a bubble, you know, coping with COVID, coping with having to do various quarantine periods and stuff like that. And they came away with a, a very well-deserved silver medal. And they, they've had a great run of performances since then. They've done the Grand Slams. People will be familiar with Grand Slam events in tennis the Grand Slams uh, in curling are kind of similar. You can equate them. And, and they've won three out of the last four and got to the final in the fourth. So they're on a hot street. There's no doubt about it. But the Olympics is a different environment. You know, everyone has to deal with those additional things that the Olympics bring. Uh, the media pressure, the expectation will be in China. Beijing will be dealing with Covid out there. All those additional challenges. So. You know, I'm not putting a, a, a noose around anybody's neck or a medal around anybody's neck yet. All I know is that that team and the mixed doubles pairing, who we've also announced, which is also Bruce, Marrot and Jennifer Dodds, that they're, they'll all be in great form come, 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 come February uh, and the Winter Olympics in Beijing. So and at that point, it's Olympic sport, but they'll be, they'll be in good shape.
1: 1924, Chamonix in France. It was a gold for the men. Willie Jackson, Robin Welsh, you go. Tom Murray and Lawrence Jackson. Since then, 7th, 7th, 4th, 5th, Silver in 2014 and then a 5th last time around. What can you tell us about how you put this team, how you put this squad, how you select the group that are going to Beijing?
2: Well, Team Mowat themselves have actually come together as a team probably four years ago now, a um, group of, at that stage, young, highly talented um, curlers. They competed at events like the World Junior Championships with, with success there. And, 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 and you could see, and I wasn't involved, I wasn't in the post I'm in right now at, at that stage, but as a curling fan and a curler myself, you could see the progress that Team Mowat were, were, were making up through the kind of junior ranks, and then into the seniors. And they've they've just continued to kick on since then. What, what we've done here, and, and I'm speaking to you from the National Curling Academy here in, in Stirling, where, you know, we run a full time centralised programme. So behind me, through that door, just behind me on the on the ice, we've got uh, Team Mowat and other curlers, some of our top female players as well. They're on the ice training and they're essentially here five days a week. Uh, training when they're not traveling and competing okay and they're doing an awful lot of hard technical work tactical work and then they'll they'll finish on the ice here and they'll shoot out to the gym and they'll do an awful lot of physical work as well so they are they're they're very very dedicated they're full-time athletes and, and 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 anybody that doesn't isn't that familiar with curling? We'll purposefully use the word athletes because they are athletes. If you saw them in the gym and you see the way they're chucking Olympic weights around, they're full-time athletes and they're absolutely on it. And um, and Team Marit are a really good example. They're leaving no stone unturned, if you'll forgive the expression. They are doing everything technically, tactically, lifestyle-wise, They're committed. They know that this Olympic Games is a huge opportunity for them. And I know, and they've done a great job over the years. They've had a very good coach, Alan Hanna, who's worked with them through that four years. We've got David Murdoch, who I think you spoke to on a a, a different podcast. Dave Murdoch as our Olympic head coach. He works with Alan and with the the team as well. And, um,
1: you know, yeah, we can't wait. We're looking forward to Beijing. We'll talk about the mixed team that's been selected and we'll get on as well to talking about what's happening as far as a women's team. But I just want to pick up on something you said there. You, you were very forceful in your point that these were athletes. Is there a yep. perception issue then that you find in terms of curling and people's perception of the people that do curling professionally? I'm not sure there's a
2: huge perception issue, but I think the danger is... Everyone loves curling every four years. We see that the winter Olympics hits and suddenly the country and and you know does love curling and, and that's fantastic and it's our it's curling's wimbledon moment every four years, not every not every year. I guess we've got a responsibility, you know, those of us that are fortunate enough to, to, to work in curling and it's British curling I work for and Scottish curling, Welsh curling, English curling. We've got a responsibility to do something about that and get curling more visible. Year in, year out, season in, season out. But um, but, but there is always a danger when people see a sport that they're not that familiar with and they see the the sweeping element going on and it and then you know you can look at that and smile about it, and we'll get the analogies to sweeping the kitchen floor. That'll all come out in the in, in, in some of the less informed media, perhaps. But actually, you cannot curl at this level without being a top athlete. And you know, and 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 they really are, both strength, power, endurance. And then the, the the specific you know technique that, that that the support the sport requires, it's very very skillful. So I just think it's a message that we need to reinforce the whole time that uh, to be a top curler you need to be an athlete.
0: Michael mentioned about the women's team. It is something that's different this year. You mentioned about Bruce having a team that came together four years, and that's what what's come through. Uh, when we spoke to David Murdoch, as you mentioned, he said British Curling have, have done this new way of doing it where we're kind of putting everyone together and mixing them up and seeing what what happens. I think Eve Muirhead has said recently, it's been very good times and very tough times. Talk talk us about that process, Nigel. How did it come about and, and is it working? It's, it,
2: it is an interesting one. I think, um, how did it come about? Simply, we didn't qualify. The women didn't qualify for the Olympics at the World Championships back in May in Calgary. We had to get a top six finish to secure a place in Beijing for Team GB. So, very kind of politics of sport, politics or dynamics of sport. That's a Scotland team competing at the World Championships, um, representing Scotland with with real pride. But they, if you like, carry the qualification for Team GB uh, through to for the Olympic Games. They they didn't finish in the top six. Look, disappointingly, I'm not going to run away from that one. We were disappointed. I was disappointed. The players themselves, very very disappointed. Okay, um, good players, and um, but it just didn't it didn't it didn't come about. And I suppose we took the brave decision. And, you know, I am a curler, but I've worked in other sports in leadership roles and I've got a different experience, I guess. And we we looked at it and went, actually, we probably need to do something different, more of the same in this context, at this time, with the pressure of COVID and everything else, is probably likely to give us the same result of not qualifying. So we have a we have an Olympic qualifying event in December in, in the Netherlands. And we, rather than sticking with an established team of four players. And going, okay, let's do the workout here on the ice. Let's get them to other competitions as the world opens back up. We said, no. We had two really good teams, lots of nine players ultimately. We kind of collapsed into one squad uh, of nine. We, and big credit to Dave Murdoch and the other coaches that have been working with that team. They um, juggled the players around week in, week out, both from a training point of view. And then we got some competitions they played different combinations different pairings in different positions and we we tracked all that with you know significant amount of data right the way through not just looking at results on the ice we're looking at training data we're looking at how and, and and a big part of that was also how the dynamics of that team function curling as a team of four on the ice and traveling together and kind of living together during competition you know do you need to be best mates absolutely not do you need to be able to get on and, and work as an effective unit? Absolutely, you do. And communication and dialogue and roles within that team are really really critical. So so we threw the nine players into the into the mix. And and you know Eve's comments are you know spot on. Really, I think she said she found it generally positive, but it wasn't. But it had but it had those challenges. And I think the big challenge is that. What we did was we have changed the dynamic from being a, an environment where the team selected or the team qualifies to one where it's all about the individual at that point. But we were also asking those individuals to prove their worth, I suppose, within a team context. So actually, there'll be a lot of people working in sport listening to this podcast who'll go, what's different about that, Nigel? That's what we do day in, day out. Uh, you know and and they're right but that's a very different cultural perspective for curling traditionally mm. and 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 we are actually at the moment i mean i i we we're, we're one of our challenges is to change a lot of the culture of what's gone on within this British curling program. Not that there's, there's some wonderful stuff in curling; historical approaches that we I love and we need to respect and, and and retain where we can. But if we're going to tackle the world's best, the Chinese and the you know the 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 other top teams in the world, the Swedes or the Swiss they're not necessarily held back by tradition and convention. They're doing things the way to produce the best teams at the time on the ice. And the host, China, you know, in Beijing will be really, really tough. They'll have had, we suspect, a little bit of extra practice in the venue on that ice. And that's significant. You know, so we've got to do absolutely everything. And the the squad approach with the women's the women's team, It was tough. It was tough on the individuals. It was tough on the coaches as well, actually. Uh, They had some tough decisions to make. And eventually we we got ourselves into a smoke-filled room, you know, as selectors, three of us. And we looked at the data and we looked at the, 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 the subjective data and the objective data. And we've selected five players from that group of nine. They're off to the European Championships this week. They travel, I'm pleased to say. Lillehammer, looking forward to that. That's a nice preparation for the Olympic qualifying event, which takes place in December. And there's no guarantee. There's 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 eight other really good teams at that Olympic qualifying event. So it's tough. It's arguably almost as tough or tougher than the Olympics itself to qualify. But they're doing a great job. They've bought in. Every one of those nine players bought into the approach. The five players we've selected are now kicking on. They're on the ice out there now they'll be ready for that Olympic qualifying event. The other players, they're now out in Canada competing. There's an awful lot ahead for them this season as well. They're very, very talented players moving forward. So I like to believe nobody's lost from that approach. Actually, what we've got is just different wins.
0: You mentioned about the best team. So Jen Dodds and Bruce Murray uh, are the mixed team uh, world champions. It's only the second time I'm right in saying that the, the Olympics that this event is taking place. Is that also a, a cultural change as well, Nigel? It's important that sports are having new events and making sure that they are diverse, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera.
2: absolutely right and you're absolutely right it's the second Olympics for mixed doubles it was uh, in Pyeongchang in 2018. Uh, Team GB we didn't qualify we just missed out on qualification I think by one place at the previous world championship so this is our mixed doubles debut for Team GB you know going in with the world champions nice position to be in right but my goodness that's quite a lot of pressure as well but what I would also say straight away is that You know, mixed doubles is like so many sports, it's it's an evolution of the of 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 the format. It's a bit quicker, it's a bit sharper, it's a bit more, you know, it's got different different rule elements that do change the game. It probably is a bit more like 2020 cricket. And as we've just seen in the in the world 2020 championships taking place, you know, you get the odd result where the better team doesn't always come through. And you know, I'll wear my wave my England flag at that point and say in the semi-final you know that was maybe that was one of those 2020 results right that just didn't quite go their way that can happen in mixed doubles curling as well perhaps in a slightly more uh you know in a way that happens slightly more often than in the team game so it's very exciting really looking forward to it Jen and Bruce are a very very talented mixed doubles pair. They proved that at the World Championships earlier on this year in Aberdeen. But we see it out here on the ice at the National Curling Academy. We have we have mixed doubles Fridays. They're great training days where we the whole squad are mixed are paired up essentially, and they pair up for the season. Um, and we run a mixed doubles Friday league, and the music's turned on out there, and they're playing you know fun but very focused mixed doubles every Friday. And Jen and Bruce. They've had some real strong competitors. I mean, Eve Muirhead and Bobby Lammy are a cracking pair as well. Uh, Vicky Wright and Grant Harding, we've got some cracking mixed doubles pairs there. You know, if you're, if you're a good top curly, you're a top mixed doubles player. The shots are the same. The tactics of the game are the bit that's different. Um, but Bruce and Jen have come out top of that league over the, over the past season and are, and are sitting pretty at the moment in the league that we're running in here. So, yeah, they're good. Roll on Beijing. Mixed doubles is first. We get to go with mixed doubles first. So Jen and Bruce get to get familiar with the ice. And then as long as Jen as part of the, the, the women's team also qualifies at the, quali- at the, at the qualifying event, then both, both Bruce and Jen will then play in the team's competition that follows. So busy, busy time for them. But something that we think is, listen, they're fit enough. Like I say, they're athletes. They're fit enough to come through mixed doubles first and then go straight into the team event. And, uh, Looking forward to that.
1: This is Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy. We're in conversation with Nigel Hull, the Executive Performance Director for British Curling. Nigel, you've said a few times you're a a keen curler. To run an organisation, do you have to have that understanding of the sport? Because you've been involved in cycling, you've been involved in athletics, you've been involved in netball, you've been involved in hockey, but now curling and also a player of curling.
2: I don't think it's – my role is a kind of combined role. I'm the kind of chief executive and the performance director all roll into one because, as we say at British Curling, we're small and beautiful, so we don't need – we can't justify a separate chief executive and and, and performance director at the moment. Um, I don't think for a chief executive you need to be from that sport, if I'm honest. I think there's a different skill set and requirements there. It's about running the business – um, you know the commercial side the governance side the leadership side um, and you know I guess I'm, I've, I've got experiences in that in other in other walks of life in, in other sports athletics as you rightly say it Scottish athletics and and UK athletics and and, and elsewhere where I, however I do think it really helps if you've got a bit of a passion for the sport I mean I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate I'm working in a sport that twenty three years ago i took up so i'm not a born and bred curler i'll still be a newcomer all my life i think to curling as regarded by people that were born and bred with curling shoes on i moved to scotland for work purposes and um and started curling with the local club um you know a lo- very rural local club lots of farmers in the club bledrum curling club give them a shout out they deserve it great great group of people and i've curled with that club ever since and I, and I love the sport and I'm very passionate about it. I've coached curling. I, my children, as they join the local Young Curlers, I got dragged into the Sterling Young Curlers to go and help out as a coach and enjoyed that immensely. And, and they're doing some great, some great work with other Young Curlers coming through still. So I've got a passion for it. Does it help? Yeah, because I'm really interested in what's going on. Is it a necessary? No. But, it, but, but as I say, I think it just helps my motivation,
1: not that, that I struggle for motivation generally. Lady Drummond, great curling club, terrific safari park. I took the children there for their holidays in the There you go.
2: There you go. We'll give them a shout out as well. They're our local big business. They are great, actually. Yes, you're right.
1: Really good place to uh, take children. Anyway, that's an aside. I'm interested in your comments though about running an organisation because British Athletics, for example, there's a vacancy there for a chief executive at the minute. And... From a lot of things that I've read, you feel the athletics community feel that the person that's going to head up that organisation has to, you know, know about PBs and split times, has to have maybe been a, a track and field athlete as well. But from what you're saying, you don't think that's necessarily important to take an organisation on?
2: As I say, I think it helps. So my background in athletics, when I took on, I was the interim chief executive at UK Athletics previously. So I've been through a few there recently. Uh, let's move on from that aspect. Um you know, I, I I had been an athlete, I represented Scotland at rather crazy ultra marathon distances and bits and pieces like that. So, you know, was I credible in terms of Olympic track and field levels of performance in athletics? Absolutely not, not as, a, as, a, as, a, as an athlete myself. There's something though, there about how you listen and how you engage with the membership, with the participants, with the elite side of the sport. So, there's something about, um, how you tackle and move into a new sport. So I I moved my background. I, a number of years ago, took on the role of performance director for England netball. You know, I would played one game of netball and that was at primary school and that was the boys football team playing the girls netball team. And can I just say, for the record, we won that match and then the return fixture, we lost the football match to the girls team. It's indelibly imprinted on my mind that I was probably nine at the time. So it's, it's about how you listen and engage with the audience, with your customers, with your clients, if you move it into a business kind of environment away from sport. In in this instance, it's how you engage with the athletes, with the coaches, with the clubs, with the community. And, And, you know, I so so I do hear those calls. You see the stuff at UK Athletics. You know the leadership team as a whole, whether it's the chief exec or the chair, have to be from the sport. I don't know about that. I think it's more about the the attitude that those leaders go in with and and how they engage with the membership and the participants. What I do know is, and I'll give a big shout out to Ian Beatty, who's been recently appointed as the as, as the chairman of UK Athletics. I worked with Ian Beatty at Scottish Athletics. He was the chairman. I was the chief executive. Ian's from the sport. He's a Passionate ultra-marathon runner and race organizer himself. He's from the sport. And that's a really, really beneficial part. And the interim chief executive at the moment, Mark Monroe, was my head of development at, at, at Scottish Athletics and followed me there. Mark's got it you know, he ran internationally as a junior. He's been in the sport all his life. But so so that there is that engagement, there's that understanding there already. And I think they'll do a great job in in, in steadying the ship and, and, and getting things going again. So Good luck to them i do wish them all the best it's a great sport all sports are great but i but i think it's not necessary to be from the sport but the leadership there actually has it right now anyway
0: Nigel, right, a couple of times you've mentioned uh, scottish curling welsh curling scottish athletics and then we've got british athletics we've got british curling is the british sporting system the most complicated sporting system in the world <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Uh, it's, it's a very fair question. It's certainly
2: something that you need to really understand. And, and, the, and of course, every sport is different and, and has its own unique sort of nuances and bits and pieces. But there you again, that's back again to if you're coming in from outside the sport, how you how you learn that, how you engage with it, how you understand those unique. Those unique elements, and you know, any leader in in any walk of life, you know, listening. And I mean, God's ratio of two ears to one mouth is, is 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 pretty crucial. You've got to do an awful lot of listening, continued, but particularly in the early days. Understanding the British sporting system, if you're going to work in it, is absolutely essential. Um, you know, is if you had if you started with a blank sheet of paper, would you define? Would you d- you know design the British sporting system as it is now? I don't think you would, but That's irrelevant. We don't have a blank sheet of paper. We have some strong organisations. We have established you know, ways of working, and we've got history and tradition. And, and I am a fan of history and tradition as much as I'm a big fan of change and cultural change and driving that through the organisations where I've worked. And, you know, we're in the middle of driving some pretty big change through British curling at the moment. And and, and that's, that's important, but you have to preserve and recognise that tradition as well. That's true of the organisations with which you work. So we've got a very strong partnership with Scottish Curling. And, you know, we're we're fairly unique. Our job is very focused at British curling. We're about the elite. We're about Olympic, Paralympic, World Championships, European Championships, and that pathway of talent coming up through mainly Scotland in, in, in fairness at the moment but we reach out to England and and English curling, Welsh curling and and potential talent from England and Wales as well. That makes us pretty unique, but it also means there's a really important job for us to work together with in close partnership with Scottish curling, because the competitions that I play in as a curler, they're run by Scottish curling. The young curlers that are coming into Stirling Young Curlers that my children pass through, that's Scottish curling's territory. They train the coaches at that tier. Um, At that level to inspire young people, you know, our athletes may be the role models, but they've got to be role models and they'll wear Scotland kit at the European Championships next week. And we want them to inspire the next generation of young people and they will. And when Bruce or Jen or Eve Muirhead or Bobby Lammy or Millie Smith, you know, when they go out to young curling clubs around the country, you know they they they've got to inspire that 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 those 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 young people and they'll do that and that's in partnership with scottish curling so yeah that's our unique structure in curling it's it's different for every sport but you understand that and we kind of we find the strengths
0: in that as much as as much as any challenges and just a quick follow up on that you mentioned about england and wales and northern ireland is there any curling in these countries is there potential have you expanded enough or is that part of what you were talking about the culture about expanding um the sport
2: yeah the, the, there is curling and 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 a, and a big shout out to you know curlers in england wales uh, ireland as well there's there's undoubtedly curling there there are they've got be some some challenges which are facility based. So, you know, we're very fortunate here in Scotland, significant number of dedicated curling rings, curling facilities, the one behind behind me just here being, being a good example. Um, that's not the case elsewhere in the UK. And there are some really keen individuals who are doing a great job. There are some facilities, good one in Preston, Tunbridge, Wales, Cambridge, I think North Wales, Side. but some of these have suffered through COVID. They've either they haven't yet opened, reopened for this season or they've got vaccination clinics and things going on in them. So some big challenges there. Um, so look, there are some opportunities, but there's undoubtedly more to do. And a sport like curling, you know, today's National Curling Day here in Scotland, uh, Monday, the 15th of November. Why? Because, well, the earliest. The earliest records of curling go back to 1511. So it's the 15th to the 11th day, National Curling Day. Great initiative by Scottish Curling. We need that kind of enthusiasm opportunity to open up across the UK. Curling is a sport for life. Lots of sports claim that. But genuinely, I can go out with their drum and curling club and I can have a club member who's maybe 14 years of age, who's come through, come, learning the game, coming through. And I can have club members who are in their 70s and they're still playing the game and it's social and it's great for people and it's physical. And it's so it genuinely is a sport for life. And it's totally integrated at that point. Men, women people with disabilities playing the same sport at the same time so it's a really cracking sport so if you're out there in England or Wales and you've got a building and you're interested in in in, in a new sport then actually curling's one to undoubtedly look at
1: National Curling Day but no cards in the shops for it Valentine's, Christmas, Mother's (laughs) Day, nothing, nothing for National Curling Day.
2: (laughs) Michael, I'm going to send you a card as soon as we're done here just to make (laughs) you feel better today, okay?
1: A couple of quick fun questions before John wraps things up. I ate too much in lockdown, drank too much in lockdown. You built a bike in lockdown, isn't (laughs) it? Well, yeah, listen, that sounds a
2: bit glorious doesn't it um well i I'm, I'm really lucky i I live seven miles away from this venue so i'm I'm seven miles from the office and I had lots of bits of bike belonging to me and my family hanging up in the garage so lockdown down one, I got an old frame I had to turn it I turned it into a fix it was an old track bike, you know rustled a pair of wheels and and that's now my commute bike
1: and um, I cycle into work seven miles each way each day and it's uh, it's very good and the second fun question what on earth possesses someone to want to do the Mount Everest marathon and the follow-up to that, how on earth do you do the Mount Everest marathon spot someone and go, Oh, I think I'd quite like to date her.
2: <laughs> I'm not sure if Mrs. Hall's listening, this could be dangerous for me at this point. Um, Mount Everest marathon. Look, I was, I was, I'm, I'm a, I, I was, I'd, I'd become a runner at that stage in my life. I'd been played various other sports and I was moving more and more into running. And, um, yeah the Mount Everest marathon I read something about it was inspired by it three week trip four week trip I think actually trekking into base camp at Mount Everest and running a marathon at altitude you know as much about the experience as anything else but it was a but it was a great race as well and it did, did okay in it um and my my wife my now wife was also on that trip and um Look, it's a long, 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 long story, but suffice to say she wasn't running in the end, thanks to Chicken Pox, but she was at the finish line and she caught me as I fell over the finish line and collapsed and the rest's history, as they
0: say. Uh, Nigel, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up. Just before we finish, can Team GB match their achievements at Beijing or better them?
2: I can only really talk about the curling side, but I but I know my colleagues in other winter sports are striving just as hard as we are and doing everything to to ensure you know come Beijing, uh, both for the Olympics and the Paralympics, we've got athletes who are absolutely ready to go to deliver their best and and perform when it counts. My motto, perform when it counts. And and, and there is no bigger occasion to perform when it counts than the Olympics and the Paralympic Games. Um, I'm very confident that from a curling perspective, we will go, we will make our mark, we will have the UK sitting on the edge of its seats. Might be quite early in the morning, some of it this time, rather than late, I'm afraid. So set your alarm clocks people you will really be inspired by the athletes that we've got on the ice and um and we'll see where that gets us but yeah we'll be we'll we'll be in the mix come the medal come
0: the medal zone well wish all of your athletes the best of luck from us nigel hole executive performance director and ceo of british curling thanks for talking to great british bosses thank you very much
2: sports social podcast network